1025-37 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May God's word shape us and form us. Amen. We're continuing in our series, hashtag Be Renewed, and that's on the vision, values, and ethos of our church, Renew Covenant Church. And today's uh, sermon is entitled, Hashtag Be Neighbor. Uh, what does it mean when we say we are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods? What is neighborhood? What does it mean to be neighbor? What is a neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And that is the refrain, right? That is the question that this young uh, expert in the law gives to Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Um, I remember back in my college undergrad days uh, in Walla Walla, Washington at Whitman College, freshman year in Anderson Hall, um, I was one of those uh, eager, excitable, idealistic people. Um, and I was feeling really uh, perturbed about community. And I think a, a lot of it had, and maybe I wouldn't be able to articulate it then, but now I can articulate it, feeling alienated, as many uh, people of color, students of color may feel when they go to uh, a school that where they don't see a lot of themselves, people who look like them, um, but feeling distance, feeling alienated from community and wanting deeper friendships, deeper relationships. And there was a sense of self-righteousness too that, oh, people aren't open, people aren't being vulnerable, people aren't demonstrating their neediness, they're just putting their best foot forward, they have all of these walls and masks, and it's keeping us from really being community and really loving one another. And at the same time, I was reading uh, Henry Nouwen's Wounded Healer, which that's basically the gist of that is, you know, Jesus was able to connect 
and touch people because he himself was a wounded healer. Right? It's not about out of our strength and out of our abilities and out of our perfection that we're able to give to one another, right? But it's in his, it's by his wounds that we're healed, right? And it's the, that's the very core of the incarnation is that he became flesh and dwelt among us. He walked with people. He understood people. He suffered alongside humanity. And so he could love us and we could believe it. He could touch us. And we knew that when we looked into Jesus' eyes, when we look into Jesus' eyes now, we, we experience compassion. And so what I did, if any of you have seen the movie Jerry Maguire, where he has his Jerry Maguire moment, like he writes his mission statement, right? He stays up all night writing this thing. I stayed up all night writing this big, I quoted Henry Nowen even, and Whitman's not a Christian school. It's just very secular. And I'm writing this thing. We need to be open and vulnerable and not be like, here, how can I help you? How can I do this thing? But also allow ourselves to receive and receive help from everybody. And I posted it on every bathroom door. <laughs> on all the sections. Women's sections, men's sections. Okay, this was me. Right? And just like that email that you write really quickly and send right away, I was just like, no, what did I just do? But I didn't go out and tear them down. It was in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, the next day I was walking around just trying to gauge what people were thinking as they were looking at me. And, uh, you know, just half embarrassed and ashamed that I just put myself out there like that. And half, like, wondering what people thought. And, uh, and I got some, you know, I got some... A lot of people ignored me. Some people were like, really, thank you, Dave, for saying that. Um, and um, But I think when I read this passage, all of the things, it, it's a very famous passage. It's very popular. Most of us know, even outside of the church, people use the phrase Good Samaritan, right? What is a Good Samaritan? It's a stranger who helps another stranger, someone who comes out of nowhere and demonstrates great compassion and great care and great love. Someone's stuck on the side of the road, good Samaritan comes by and helps. Someone's you know, being mugged or, and someone steps in, a stranger steps in, that person is a good Samaritan. So that phrase um, in our world, in our public, in our society and culture is, is known for a person who, a stranger who helps out. And some of that is because we live in a world that doesn't help out, right? We live in a world that's used to uh, minding our own business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could, you know, I've heard sermons where people bring up uh, psychology experiments, right? Or experiments where they have a person on the ground who's suffering and who's asking for help and see how many people just pass by this person and literally ignore the person and walk to the side, you know, the other side of the road. Or real events where there have been women who have been um, harassed or even physically assaulted in public and screaming and no one lifts a hand to help or does anything but just ignores the situation. So in one sense, it's sad that we would even have a phrase like Good Samaritan because you would expect if someone is in need, it's human 
to actually help someone, right? It's human to intercede, no matter what, even if they are a stranger. And it's almost like being a good Samaritan is you get extra credit. That's like when I do the dishes at home, right? In my wife's eyes, she's like, you should, that's default. You should just always do the dishes. But what do I want? I want credit, right? So I'm like, when she comes home and I've done the dishes and she doesn't say anything, I'm like, I'm fuming. I'm like, she hasn't said anything. And I'm like, look, oh, look how clean these are. Oh, would you like a clean glass? Let me pour you something from this clean glass. And she's like, what? I do the dishes every day. Like, do you want a cookie or something? Right? We shouldn't get a cookie for being human. Or extra credit. Right? I'll go, I could go off for 30 minutes on man colds, right? That's another thing of mine. Like, I should get credit for having a sickness, right? Being sick. Come on, I deal with patience every day. I just need a little love. So the good Samaritanness on me. But, uh, so I'm going to, needless to say, I'm going to take a, uh, I'm going to approach this passage from underneath. And what I mean by that is to focus in on the dialogue between this lawyer, this expert in the law, and Jesus. And, and kind of glean a lesson from this. Because oftentimes when we read the story, it's called, we call the parable the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? Um, but we don't call it the parable of the bad neighbor. Or the parable of the, let me do the minimal. Right? Which I think this is what this man is, look, is going after, right? So it says, if you can hit the slide. Next slide. Oh yeah, I gotta go to this. So this is just a review from last week on B Church. The church has left the building. Amen? What does it mean to be the church? We don't come to church. We are the church. Amen? The reason why we come here, the reason why we're in this place, is because sometimes we run out of gas. Sometimes we need other people to share stories and share testimonies. Sometimes we need a little shared vision. Sometimes we need to hear the voices of one another singing and praising God so that even if we don't, I don't feel like praising God and singing because everyone around me is singing and praising and John's voice is so melodious, right? Melodic? Melodic? (laughs) I am drawn into worship or people are interceding on my behalf, right? When I can't quite muster the energy or the hope or the love. We also come, right, to receive renewal from God. We come to this place to drink from the well, to hear from the word and to read from the word and to pray. And as we drink from the living water, we're then empowered and emboldened and sent out from this place. And that's why pastors give the benediction, right? It's both a blessing and ascending. Go from this place. Empowered with strength. Go sent from here. And that's what it means to be church. That's why we come. And part of being church is this, and I shared with you this idea of bounded set versus centered set, right? Bounded set being 
what defines something or people or gives identity are the boundaries, right? And whoever's in the boundaries are in, or our church, or my people. And whoever's out of the, these definitions, or these standards, or these rules, are considered not, right? Outside. The strength of this is that it's clear. Everything's black and white. It's clear that, oh, you're in. You believe in Jesus. Or you're a follower of Jesus. And those who are out of these bounds are out. And we need to reach out to them. The problem, I think the, that's the strength. It's clear. The problem is you can be within these bounds and 20 years pass and you haven't moved at all. You haven't grown. Because you, all you know is, as long as I'm inside this red line, I'm in. Right? I'm in. Over here, it's the cross and Christ at the center. And everyone is in different positions in relation to the cross. You're, and you, you could be work, walking sideways or away from Jesus or towards Jesus. Right? And this, the, the weakness in this is, I guess, it's hard to define. It's hard to say, what? Who's in and who's out? Or... I'm being faithful like this, but that person is like, got tattoos and they're drinking a lot, but they're, you know, praying. Right? Well, how's that fair? You know? The strength is that as a, as a pastor or as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I can walk with anyone at any point. I can go to the darkest and darkest of place, sit next to them on a curb, and say, can I pray with you? Right? Jesus is this way. Will you take a step towards Jesus? Are you with me? Amen. That's centered set. And the magnetism comes from, the light comes from Jesus at the center. And that's, and Jesus is calling people to us. Right? Yeah. And so that's bounded set. And centered set. And I want to keep that image in mind as we talk about being neighbor and this dialogue between the, the expert in the law and Jesus. In verse 25, the expert in the law says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This in itself is, right, a paradox, or it's contradictory, right? Because you don't, it, you don't do eternal life. Yeah. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do even to inherit, the word inherit. An inheritance is something that's given to you after someone passes away, right? Something that's in the family, and because... You are, by identity, a sim, or you're part of this family, right? Then you're given this inheritance just because of who you be, not who you do, right? I guess if you're a bad son, then maybe, or daughter, maybe you wouldn't get an inheritance. But anyways, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, this is a false statement. You can't do anything. Eternal life comes by grace, by the mercy, yeah. and by the work of Jesus Christ, who saves. Amen? Amen. So, right there, you know Jesus is going to jump on this guy, right? Yeah. What's up? 26, Jesus responds, well, you tell me. Right? Classic Jesus gives a, answers a question with a question. What is written in the law? 
What is written in the law? How do you read it? And this is really interesting because, you know, he's an expert in the law, and he's saying, well, turn to the law, turn to the Jewish law, turn to the Torah, turn to the Bible, and tell me, how do you interpret God's word? How do you interpret God's word? And the expert responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Next slide. Jesus then says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. What's Jesus up to? Is he tongue-in-cheek? Is he just kind of playing along? You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And then it says, the man wanting to justify himself, I just put his justification, was, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You think you got me, Jesus? Who is my neighbor? And when I read that, it's like, going back to the bounded set, it's, it's the religious leader, it's the, it's the expert of the law trying to put bounds, right, on being neighbor. What he's really asking is, who isn't my neighbor? Like, can you tell me when the law, when the Torah says, love your neighbor as yourself, tell me who is my neighbor so I can know what my bounds are. Because when you live in a system of perfection, right, I will do, I can do everything perfectly, and it's in my perfection that I'm made righteous, then you, got, you, better, you better make those bounds small because you're going to fail big time. Or at least it's harder to delude yourself that you're not failing. Right? So who is my neighbor? It's a bounded set. Right? Surely not a Gentile. Surely not this person who lives in this sin. Surely not a Samaritan. Surely not those people over there who are poor. Surely not an illegal person in our country. I'm saying it in their voice, not my voice. Always illegal. Surely not people that live in that neighborhood who are in gangs or this or that. For me, it's like, surely not those people who drive trucks and have Confederate flags and have rifle racks in the back. Like, surely they're not my neighbor. It's easy to be neighbors when everyone around you, who's close to you, is like you. Amen. Oh, of course. Of course I can love my neighbor as myself because they're like myself. Right? I love myself so I can love someone who's like myself. Right? They're of a certain socioeconomic status. They're of a certain level of education. They're of a certain... uh, uh, ability to articulate. They're of a certain age, certain number of children, certain eth- uh, ethnicity, certain this or this or this or this or that, right? 
We all do this. Birds of a feather flock together. And the church is not immune from this. Right. Right? The church is not immune from this. Churches, we build ourselves around preferences. Right? How, how, what is the worship style? Right? What do they think about discipleship? What do they, how do they interpret the Bible? What, what is their stance on human sexuality? Right? Who, like, are they, do they do enough in global missions? First of all, are they into the social justice stuff? Right? What, you know, are they, um, do they sit in pews? Are they in community centers? Or do they sing hymns? Or do they have drums and basses and electric guitars? Or do they sing hymns with electric guitars? We have all of these preferences, and it's very easy when all of these, all of a church, or all of a community, or all of a body of friends, or people that we like to hang out with, fit our check marks, right? Yep. Just like when you're thinking about who who you would marry, right? I have a checklist, right? Boom, 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 boom. And we do that in every aspect of our life. We do that in how we choose where to live. What are the schools like? What are the houses like? You know, is the value going up or down? This is what this man is saying. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And that word justify. Right? Don't we try to make the gospel smaller and smaller? in order that we can do it ourselves, in order that we can take our actions and, our, and the things that we do for righteousness sake, going to church, giving to causes, giving to the church, serving, volunteering, we can say, yes, I can justify myself. I'm justifying myself, right? That I'm being faithful and good. And Jesus responds to this with a story, a parable. And I think this is key because we want, what are the rules, right? What is, like, how do I approach this as an ethical situation? You know, like, what are, what are the rules that I need to follow in order to be right in this situation? And Jesus says, and through telling a story, says, no, it's relational and it's circumstantial, right? Because neighbor doesn't come when we are in control of everything. A neighbor doesn't show up when we're ready. A neighbor doesn't show up when we have, what it, when we have energy, when we have stuff to give, when we have resources, right? Most of the times, the opportunity to be neighbor to someone came when I was tired. I didn't want, I wanted to be introverted. I wanted to watch my TV. I had no, nothing to give. And the person smelled or something. You know? <laughs> like, I do not want to do this right now. Or, this is outside of my comfort zone. Or, that person is way, way, way from the other side of the bridge as me. And I don't have, I just don't have it. I don't want to, I don't want to connect. 
It's like seeing that old high school friend in a mall, right? And you pretend you didn't see them, right? You look away. And you both look away. When I could have said, oh, I forgot your name, but we went to high school together. Oh, give me, bring it in. Right? We avoid. We avoid like the plague those opportunities. Um, blah, 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 the story, Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a very dangerous road. There were a lot of robbers and thieves. So it's realistic, right? They would have stripped him and beat him. And they went on his way and, a, and uh, the story goes on. Basically a priest goes by, sees the man, passes him by. A Levite goes by. These are all religious priest, priestly people and passes him by. People who you would think would show compassion, right? If the scriptures are about love, they pass him by. And then a Samaritan who, Samaritans were enemies of the Jews, comes by and helps him, takes pity on him and compassion. Bandages wounds, goes the extra mile, touches the person, and even looks, takes him to an inn, gives the innkeeper money so that he, he will, uh, can be taken care of even after he uh, is gone. And then Jesus, so I, I rushed through that part. And then Jesus, 36, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. But I, there's a very interesting little piece of detail that hit me as I was studying this. Because this man says, who is my neighbor? Right? And then Jesus says, which one of these men, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to this man who was suffering and beaten up on the side of the road? So essentially, from this man's perspective, if he is going to name who was neighbor, just like who was neighbor to the beaten up man, then he needs to place himself, right, from the perspective and position of the one lying on the side of the road, right? In saying it's the Samaritan who is my neighbor, right? He is saying he's the man on the side of the road beaten up who was helped and saying he's my neighbor. Does that make sense? And this is the, I mean, this is the flip for me that going back to kind of that sheet that I pasted on the wall in my dorm. Like, being neighbor is a, is a mutuality, right? It's essentially, oh, this is the part I forgot. Can you, uh, this part. Uh, the thing that the man quotes is basically two parts of the great, the great commandments, right? Jesus gives the great commandments as being love the Lord your God, all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself in other Gospels. In this story, the man actually recites this. And the first part of that, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, comes from Deuteronomy 6. Um, and it's, uh, it's part of the Shema, right? So, hear, O Israel. That's what the Hebrew word Shema comes from. Hear, O Israel. What the, the Lord your God is one. The monotheistic God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the second part of the Shema. Right? Love the Lord your God. And then Leviticus 19, 18, 
That's where you'll see love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a lot of debate about who is your neighbor. And among uh, kind of rabbinic literature, there is that debate. Is it just other Israelites? Is it just people next to you? It's people who are deep, just friends of you, like the closest people to you? Or, um, or is it everyone, the foreigner, right? Everyone who is um, in God's world, right? And Leviticus 19.18 comes as part of the holiness collection in chapters 17 through uh, 26 in Leviticus. If you ever get bored and want some light reading, just read <laughs> Leviticus 17 through 26, right? It's like, it's great. But here's, it's just like a collection of all kinds of, not just laws, but like ethical concerns or uh, priestly rights, holiness rights, and, and just like uh, wise things that you should do, and also laws and rules and commands. And it's all kind of jumbled together. But if you were to read all of Leviticus 19, if you go down, um, there's this. Um, did I write it down, please? Yeah, I wrote it down. When a foreigner resides among you, this is 1933. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners. In Egypt, I am the Lord, your God. This sense of mutuality and, and poverty of spirit. Like Jesus is saying, you cannot understand neighborliness or who is your neighbor. Or you cannot be neighbor unless there is an amount of humility and weakness and vulnerability and poverty in spirit. Right? And I think that's perhaps the stronger message for people like us, right? A lot of us are very independent. A lot of us are very competent. A lot of us have a harder time getting help, amen, yeah. than giving help. And the church is really good. I mean, I would say good at giving, knowing how to give, giving money, giving missions, giving this or that. But being neighbor, I think Jesus is pushing us deeper, like not just doing help to people, but this mutuality of being neighbor. Are you with me? Amen. It requires a humanness of being open and vulnerable, even being seen as the one on the side of the road, and allowing the Samaritan your neighbor by helping you and loving you. And I think, I think this is a great message because it's, for me, it, you know, because I've read this passage a lot and many of us have read this passage a lot and heard about it a lot, it would be easy to go out of this place and go, go help people, you know? And I think that's great. And I think we would miss a lot of the point. Because I think Jesus is taking the parameters that this legal person is trying to establish as who is my neighbor. Like, give me a limit. What is the least amount I can do to busting that wide open? Actually, everyone is your neighbor. Right? And that is the law and the prophets, right? In the Shema. The foreigner is like you. 
And remember, you were once cast, you were once out of Egypt and wandering. Do you remember when you were an immigrant, a refugee, when you were in transition? The only way you can connect is when we connect from underneath, right? The vulnerable parts, the needy parts of us. We need to remember, right? That being neighbor is not just giving, but also receiving. I grew up in an immigrant church, and, you know, I saw my father, you know, passionate, faithful, but almost beaten up, right? Because he was a great pastor, but the most that he could achieve is to be a small Korean mission church and a larger American church that was supporting us. I felt it. I could even feel, feel it and intuit it as a child. Like, that there's a condescension in that help, right? Like, hey, let's have her, uh, a mixed service and you can bring your kimchi and rice and we'll eat like food together. But it's not, hey, will you come and preach at our church? Right? Will you come and lead this discipleship group? Will you tell us how we could do ministry better as peers? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like we need, to, we need to break down those, those things, the condescension and the pride, right? and be mutual receivers and, and givers. And that's how we become a, multi, a truly multicultural, multi-ethnic church. When minorities or people of color aren't just welcome in the church, right? But they're creating the church, right? And part, everyone's partner and making it. Are you with me? Yeah. Who is my neighbor?